Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 20. Nine long, 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 long years. The great fleet of the Greeks set off on the journey to Troy. Supplies of corn and wine had been given by King Anios of Delos, and the army was well prepared. Agamemnon was the overall leader, but for some reason Achilles was put in charge of the fleet. So, do you think this was a good idea? Achilles was very young, but he was the best warrior the Greeks had. Does this mean he'd be a great admiral and lead the fleet well? Well, no, it didn't. Achilles had been pretending to be a girl for the last few years, and had never even been on a ship. He certainly had never captained one, and he certainly, certainly, never led over a thousand of them on a long sea voyage. The inevitable happened. The fleet got lost and ended up landing in the kingdom of Mycenae. The Mycenaeans attacked, and a number of the Greek heroes were killed. The king of Mycenae, Telephos, led his army bravely and did a lot of the killing himself. Eventually he was wounded by a spear thrown by Achilles. Fortunately the Greeks realised their mistake and set sail once more. Unfortunately they still had no idea which way they had to go in order to get to Troy. Fortunately there was somebody who could help them. Unfortunately that somebody was Telephos. The Greeks sailed back to Greece and wondered what to do. In the end, the answer arrived in an unlikely way. While the fleet was moored in Argos, Telephos turned up unexpectedly. His wound had refused to heal, and he was in danger of dying. An oracle had told him the wound could only be healed by the person who had caused it. That person was, of course, Achilles. Telephos was desperate, and he grabbed Agamemnon's baby son. "'Heal me, Achilles,' said Telephos. "'If you don't, I will kill the boy. If you do, I will show you the way to Troy.' Achilles did not know what he had to do, so he asked Odysseus for advice. Odysseus told Achilles to scrape a little rust from his spear into the wound. Achilles did as he was told, and the wound magically healed. Telephos agreed to guide the Greeks to Troy, and the fleet prepared to sail for a second time. The Greeks waited for the wind to get up, so they could set sail. They waited for a while, then they waited for a longer while, then they waited for a while longer. Then they waited for a longer while longer. The air remained calm, for day after day there was no wind, and the Greek fleet stayed in the port. The warriors began to get restless. The grumpy men started to whisper that the omens were bad, and the trip to Troy was doomed to failure. In desperation, Agamemnon turned to Calchas. He asked the seer what the problem was. He really, really didn't like the answer. Mighty Agamemnon, said Calchas, you are the problem. Artemis is angry with you because you once boasted you were a better hunter than she. She demands a sacrifice or you will never sail to Troy. This doesn't sound too bad, does it? A quick sacrifice of a bull or a deer or something wouldn't hold them up for too long. This, though, was not what Artemis had in mind. Calchas spoke again. Artemis demands you sacrifice the most beautiful thing born in the year of your boast. She demands you sacrifice your daughter, Iphigenia. Agamemnon bowed his head and wept. What could he do? The whole of the Greek world was looking to him to lead them against Troy, and he had a responsibility to them. On the other hand, he could not bear to kill his daughter. He made up his mind to abandon the expedition. Then he changed his mind and sent Odysseus to fetch the girl, making sure that Clytemnestra did not find out why she was being summoned. "'Tell my wife that Achilles wishes to marry our daughter,' he said. When Iphigenia arrived, Agamemnon changed his mind again. He couldn't bring himself to do the terrible deed. 
One person, though, knew it must happen, and the Greeks must go to Troy. And who was that? Who eventually made the decision? Well, it was Iphigenia herself. She stepped forward and spoke softly. Father, I am ready to die. I choose honour and death, so that our great land can be free. The army hailed the brave princess, and she stepped forward to be sacrificed. Just as she was about to be killed, though, Artemis had a change of heart. She whisked Iphigenia off and put a deer in her place. She was spirited away and joined the Olympians' hunting troop. The Greeks, though, were unaware of the swap. They thought Iphigenia had died. Agamemnon could not forgive himself for what he had done, even though he knew it had to be done. Achilles resented Agamemnon for the lie that was told to Clytemnestra about marrying Iphigenia. Most of all, Clytemnestra never forgave her husband. Many years later, she would have her revenge. The rest of the army, though, were not so unhappy. At last they were off to Troy, and this time they had with them somebody who knew the way. The winds were favourable, and the ships made good progress. On the way they landed on the island of Tenedos, where they were attacked by King Tenes and his people. Achilles strode forward and killed the king with one swing of his sword. He had specifically been told by his mother not to do this, but he did it anyway. The headstrong young warrior was eager to get on with a bit of fighting, and he ignored his mother's advice. Never ignore your mother's advice. The king was a son of Apollo, and the Olympian was angry. The Greeks made a sacrifice to him, but he wasn't satisfied. During the sacrifice, a snake slithered out from under the altar and bit Philoctetes. The wound became infected and began to smell so bad that none of the Greeks could stand it. They refused to sail on with the stinky hero. Agamemnon ordered Odysseus to sail with Philoctetes to the island of Lemnos and abandon him there. Odysseus did as he was told, and poor Philoctetes was, remo- was marooned alone on the island. He still had the bow and arrows of Heracles, and he used them to hunt. He survived alone for ten years. Apollo would eventually have his revenge on Achilles too. The magnificent fleet found its way to Troy very quickly, now the winds were with the Greeks. Many thought there would still be no war. Surely the Trojans, when they saw the thousand ships, would realise they could not win. Surely then they would give Helen back, and all could be forgiven and forgotten. Menelaus and Odysseus, with a few of their men, disembarked and walked the few miles to the walls of Troy. They were met by a cousin of King Priam, who welcomed them into his house. Menelaus gave a fine speech to all the lords of Troy, asking for Helen to be returned to the Greeks, so they could go home in peace. There was no need for war. Odysseus was as clever and persuasive as usual. The Trojans, though, had no intention of giving Helen back, and the Greeks left empty-handed. The two kings returned to the Greeks and gave the news. There was to be no handover and no peace. There was to be war. The Greeks were furious and prepared for battle. Achilles in particular was filled with rage. He put on his armour and drew his sword. Pretty soon he was ready and prepared to launch himself from the ship and fight. Just as he was about to leap from the ship though, Calchas stopped him. There is a prophecy, said the seer. Whoever is first to land on the shore will be the first to die. Don't go yet, Achilles. We cannot afford to lose you. This stopped Achilles, and all of the other Greeks, in their tracks. It was a bit of a tricky one. Someone had to go first, otherwise there'd be no war. That somebody, though, was certain to die. Nobody could think of a way out of it. Pretty soon the Trojans drew up ready to face the Greek army. All the Greeks stayed on the ships. 
Eventually, a brave hero named Prosetilaus leaped ashore. As soon as his feet hit the sand, the rest of the Greeks followed. Brave Prosetilaus killed a large number of Trojans before he met his inevitable end. When the end came, it was a glorious and honourable one. It took the greatest and bravest warrior of Troy to stop him. Hector, eldest son of King Priam, stepped forward and felled him. A great and terrible battle raged for most of the day. Fighting on the side of the Trojans was a son of Poseidon called Cycnos. The great sea god had made his son's body invulnerable to weapons. Every time he was hit with a sword or a spear, it just bounced off. Achilles tried again and again to slash, stab or spear Cycnos, but nothing worked. The Trojan took heart, seeing Cycnos kill so many Greeks and not yet have a scratch on him. The battle turned the Trojans' way. Achilles, though, was not beaten. He worked out that Cycnos could not be killed with man-made weapons, so he picked up a massive rock and held it high. He ran over to Cycnos and, with all of his strength, smashed the rock down on the head of the son of Poseidon. No man-made weapon could have harmed Cycnos, but boulders were a different matter. Achilles looked down at the messy splodge of blood, brains and bone that used to be Cycnos's head and smiled to himself. Weapons were useless against him. Big rocks weren't. The Trojans saw that Cycnos was dead and lost heart. Thinking they could not win while Achilles was in this mood, they scarpered back to Troy and locked the gates. The Greeks marched up to the walls and laid siege to the city. The city of Troy was so big that the siege was never complete. Food and drink somehow made their way into the city and the people never starved. For nine long, 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 long years, the siege of Troy went on. While they were besieging Troy, the Greek forces spent their time destroying the other cities nearby which were ruled by King Priam. Pretty soon only Troy was left. Achilles roamed the nearby lands with his Myrmidons and came upon Aeneas, camped out on Mount Ida. Aeneas had accompanied Paris to Sparta when Helen was taken, so it was clear to Achilles that he had to be killed. Achilles and his men attacked Aeneas's camp, but the Trojan was nowhere to be found. He was the son of Aphrodite, and she had helped him escape to Troy. Soon after this, Calchas came up with yet another prophecy. He had been told, he said, that Priam had a son known as Troilos. He was 19 years old. According to the prophecy, if Troilos reached the age of 20, then Troy would not fall. The Greeks decided they must kill poor Troilos as soon as possible. As usual, it was Achilles who was chosen to do the deed. The great Greek hero camped outside the walls of Troy for days and days waiting for his opportunity. Eventually it came. Troilos came out of the city riding a magnificent horse. Achilles leapt up and swung his mighty sword at the Trojan, but he was too quick. He galloped away. Achilles gave chase. As we know, Achilles could run faster than a deer, and he began to catch up with Troilos. The Trojan urged his horse on, becoming ever more desperate as he saw Achilles approach. It was no good, though. Achilles caught up and pulled Troilos from his horse. He savagely dragged him over to the altar of Apollo and sliced his head off with one swing of the massive sword. Up in Olympos, Apollo looked on. He would have his revenge later. As the years slowly went by, Agamemnon started to get bored of the siege. He wanted to make things happen a bit quicker, so he sent Odysseus off on an expedition to Thrace. He told him to bring back as much food and treasure as he could find. Odysseus, unusually for him, was unsuccessful and came back with nothing. When he arrived at the camp empty-handed, he was laughed at by Palamedes. 
Odysseus had not forgiven Palamedes for proving that he was not mad, and he wasn't going to put up with this. He planned his revenge. After a few days of thinking, he came up with a dastardly plan. He went to see Agamemnon. King of kings, said Odysseus, the gods have warned me in a dream that there is treachery in the camp. We must move the tents quickly. Agamemnon trusted Odysseus and ordered the camp be moved. While this was happening, Odysseus buried a big pile of treasure under the place where Palamedes' tent had been. He then forged a letter. The forged letter looked like it had been sent to Palamedes from Troy. It said, The gold is payment for your help in betraying the Greeks. Thank you. Enjoy the treasure. He put the letter in a bag belonging to a dead Trojan who had been killed in the day's fighting. When the Trojan was searched, the letter was found. It was brought to Agamemnon, who had Palamedes brought before him. Palamedes, of course, denied he'd betrayed the Greeks. He was telling the truth. Odysseus, though, suggested they go and search his tent. They searched and found nothing, so Odysseus suggested they search the place where his tent had been before. This they did, and, of course, found the big pile of treasure. Palamedes, poor innocent Palamedes, was stoned to death. Palamedes' father, Norpilos, heard the news of his son's death. He vowed revenge. Nine long, 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 long years passed. The Greeks remained camped outside Troy, and life inside the city went on as usual. Brave Hector married a girl called Andromache and had a son, Astyanax. The noble Trojan hero loved his wife dearly and was delighted with his son. Paris and Helen continued to live together as husband and wife. Helen was still as beautiful as ever, but she became sadder and sadder. The Greeks became restless. Nine years is a long time to wait for anything much to happen, and the whole Greek army wondered what on earth they were doing, sitting under the walls of this stupid city, waiting for something to happen. In the tenth year, though, things began to happen. Unfortunately for the Greeks, things were going to get worse before they got better. A lot, lot worse. The tenth year of the siege started badly, when Achilles and Agamemnon had a terrible quarrel. During the previous weeks, some treasure and servant girls had been captured by Achilles while defeating one of the other cities under Troy's control. The two girls were called Chryseus and Briseis. Agamemnon, as leader of the whole army, decided he wanted to have one of the servant girls, and he chose Chryseus. Achilles took Briseis. Chryseis was the daughter of a priest of Apollo, and the priest came to Agamemnon asking for his daughter's release. He even offered some cash and presents in return. Agamemnon laughed and rudely sent the old man away. Apollo, by now thoroughly fed up with being insulted by Greeks, struck the Greek camp down with a plague in revenge for the poor treatment of his priest. Calchas, smug old Calchas, told Agamemnon what the problem was. King of kings, he said, you know what you have done. Give the girl back to her father and all will be well. Apollo will end this terrible plague. It was done. The plague subsided, but losing Chryseus put Agamemnon in a terrible mood. Agamemnon was not always noted for his great decisions, especially when he was in a bad mood. Having to give Chryseus up put him in the foulest of foul moods. Grumpy Agamemnon made a terrible decision. If I can't have Chryseus, he thought, grumpily, then I'll have Briseus instead. He marched over to Achilles and took the girl away. Achilles was very fond of Briseis and was extremely annoyed by the insult. The great warrior was livid. He stormed up and down, rage in his blood, until he exploded. 
He walked up to Agamemnon and pressed his face close to the king's. You shameless, crafty, greedy wretch, he said. Now, this is not generally the kind of thing you should say to the leader of over a hundred thousand men, but Achilles was incredibly angry. He wasn't finished. You dog-faced cheat, he carried on. We have followed you here and sat around for nine years waiting to take Troy. We have obeyed you all these years and this is how you behave. Well, I've had enough. I'm off before you steal anything else. Go on then, off you go, said Agamemnon. I won't stop you. There are plenty of men here who will fight. We don't need you. Go home, coward. Achilles drew his sword and was about to swing it and kill Agamemnon. But Athena appeared to him and begged him not to. She told him she had been sent by Hera, queen of the gods. She said Hera loved both Achilles and Agamemnon equally and wanted them to fight only with words, if they must fight at all. Achilles bowed to Athena's will and walked away. Before leaving, though, he turned to Agamemnon and spoke, quietly and clearly. I swear that however much you long for my help when the Greeks are being slaughtered by the man slaying Hector, I will not lift a finger to help you. Only if my own ships are in danger will my men or I fight. The great hero retired to his tent and took off his armour. So did his cousin Patroclus, and so did the rest of the Myrmidons. The great army of Agamemnon had waited nine years for the proper fighting to start. The prophecy had said the fighting would start in the tenth year, and the tenth year had arrived. The battle would soon be on, but the greatest warrior in all Greece was refusing to fight. It wasn't looking good for the Greeks. Next week, we shall see what happens at the beginning of that tenth year, and the consequences of Achilles' wrath. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.